And as we go into the Word this morning, um, the second song that we sang this morning talks about the battle belongs to the Lord. And we can see His victory. That's the hope that we have, is that we know what the end of the story is. You know, there's an old, I don't know how old it is, an old gospel song is, I've read the end of the book and we win. You know, so if you've never read the book of Revelation, it's a good book to understand exactly how the victory is ours. It's already ours. God already won the victory. We just have to remind ourselves of it. We have to remind the enemy of it also. You know, as Brian and Donna shared, you know, the battle is ongoing, people. It's not something that we just decide whether we want to be part of it or not. We're in it. That's right. So the battle plan, we talked about that. Um, I'm going to do part two today. Last week after I did part one of the battle plan, did anybody go home and write some things down? Identify your strengths, identify your weaknesses? Okay. Do that. You know, don't just come hear the word, but actually apply it to your lives. You know, so if you took the handout last week, if, any, if you didn't get a handout this week, take one and use it as homework. Use it as a way that you're going to push deeper into the things of God. Um, write down your weaknesses. I mean, nobody wants to admit that they have weaknesses, but, I mean, we do. The primary weakness we all have is that we're human and we're sinners. Get over it. That's what the Bible says. Um, I saw a church sign um, yesterday, gone by it a couple of times, and just really, it's a good statement. If the Bible says that it's sin, your opinion doesn't matter. I mean, that's the stance we have to have. If it's in the Bible, it's what we lead our lives by. And if the Bible calls something in our lives sin, your opinion has absolutely no bearing on it. So if it says it's sin, it's sin. But then also identify who you are. You know, know yourself, know who you are in Christ. There's a lot of plans that we've talked about, you know, the battle plans. We've talked about plans of salvation. We've planned about retirement plans. As your plans change sometimes, you've got it all worked out. You think, and, you know, you're going to be doing exactly what God's told you to do. You think, and then God throws a little curve towards you. Some of those curves that we have, we don't like them, but they're part of God's plan to do something bigger than what we saw. And it's a few months off, but, you know, come November, we're going to be talking and hearing about all kinds of things to do with the pilgrims and the Puritans, right? All right, well, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. We're going to talk about the pilgrims and Puritans right now for a moment. Um, They had plans. They had purposes that the Puritans, as they called themselves, separatists, you know, we commonly call them pilgrims, they were in England. And England was a very rigid society when it came to the Church of England, that if you did not adhere to the Church of England's rules and regulations, you didn't have a very good life. And so the Puritans said, well, we're not going to tolerate this anymore. We're going to go somewhere else. And they went to Holland. And Holland is still one of the most liberal nations in this world right now. They were back then in the 1600s even, 1500s, is they tolerated a lot of things. And one of the things they tolerated is you could come in and you could practice your religion any way you wanted. They pretty much didn't care. So the Puritans were able to go there, spend a few, you know, 10, 15 years there, and had their religious freedom. But the leaders of the Puritans started seeing something they didn't like. 
is not only were the Dutch people very tolerant of religion, they were tolerant of all kinds of things. And I'm going to directly quote from one of the leaders. And he was talking about their children. He said, they're being drawn away by evil examples in extravagant and dangerous courses and manifold temptations. So they had the freedom to practice their religion the way they felt God was showing them to do it, but they were also being heavily influenced by the society that they were part of. And so that is why their plan eventually was to come to the New World. Okay, they spent some time in Holland and there was no other place for them to go. So let's go to the New World where there's very little oppression. There's gonna be openness for we can worship God the way we want to. And so here's part of the history quiz for you today, is where were they originally going? When the Puritans, the pilgrims left England, where were they headed? Anybody know specifically? America, very good. It could be, but they were heading for the territory of Virginia. You know, Jamestown, Virginia was the first permanent settlement. They were heading for the Virginia territory. But here's where I'm gonna ask if anybody's actually a history scholar. Because where, if they had gone where they were planning on going, where their charter told them to go, where would they have ended up? And I'll admit to you, I just learned this myself as I was researching this. Where, what part of Virginia were they going to land in if they had gone on course? Anybody know? No. New York City. That if they had, if the winds in this, you know, Currents had allowed them, they would have ended up, their charter was to go to the northern parts of Virginia, which Virginia is not. If you look at a map of the United States now, Virginia is what it is now, but the Virginia territory encompassed a lot more of the eastern United States. So their charter was actually calling for them to start a settlement at the mouth of the Hudson River. And if you look at the old maps of the way they had it lined up, is Long Island was actually the northern border of the Virginia Territory. So that's where they were heading. So all those years that I thought they were, they were blown way off course, they actually weren't that far off course. Massachusetts, New York City, isn't that far. But they were blown off course just enough, part of God's plan, not their plan, to go into a place that their Virginia charter had no authority. And so the Puritan leader said, before we step foot on this new land where there is no government, there's no laws for us to follow. We will come up with our own laws. And it was the start of self-governance that we see that set the pattern in this country. So they signed the Mayflower Compact before they got off the ship and said, we will follow rules for the betterment of all of the people on this ship and to the glory of God. And so the plan that they adopted was to bring glory to God in this new world. And so when you see the country that we have now, it was founded literally on a changed plan that was gonna honor and glory, give glory to God every step of the way. So that's where we're at today, you know, many centuries removed. The plan for PF, Praise Fellowship, that is all of you are sitting here right now, God has a plan for this place. Do you agree with that? Yes. Okay. Is it just to come here and sit on Sundays and hear a message? No. It's to equip you for the battle to train you for the battle, to help you understand this is something more than just a Sunday afternoon thing or a Sunday morning thing we do. It's about a lifestyle. It's about giving ourselves totally over to him. And one of the things with you know, the scripture that Donna read and you know, the chains being broken off, you know, the foot shackles being just tossed aside, the prison doors being opened, that's what God expects. 
his church to be, a place where people have their shackles torn off, where they have their oppression lifted off of them. And one of the quotes that you'll hear me talk about pretty frequently is this is from one of the classes that we run, the Conquer class that de deals with pornography addiction. And he says, um, Ted Roberts, he says, if the church does not become proficient in dealing with the issues of addiction and bondage, the church has little of relevance to the world. This needs to be a place where people can come and we get our hands dirty. That we get into other, you know, not that we're trying to be meddlesome or anything like that, but that we care for what's going on in other people's lives and we're willing to get our hands dirty. To reach in and say, what is it you need help with? What can I do for you? And the things that you've been delivered from are the exact ministries that God wants you to work in also. So if you've been delivered from addiction, whatever kind of addiction it is, if you've been delivered from um, gluttony, anorexia, whatever it happens to be, that's your ministry now. The things that God delivers you from are the things that he says now, you're equipped to speak into other people's lives that are dealing with those exact same things. He doesn't want us to hold it in and say, you're fine now. He wants us to go and help other people. Part of the equipping, part of the battle plan that we have is um, August 8th, two Sundays from now, is we're going to run a preparing for praise class. And it's going to be 8.30 in the morning till about 9.30, um, give you time to get out of that. And what we'll be doing is we'll be sharing what the core values of Praise Fellowship are. You know, why this church exists, why we're here. We'll talk about the ministries that are available, the different um, opportunities you have to serve. So that'll be August 8th from 8.30 to 9.30. And then following that, um, August 15th, we'll be starting a four-week class, and it's going to be called Biblical Foundations. And so this is open to anybody that wants to learn more of the foundations of what it means to be a Christian. Um, so that'll be August 15th. There'll be more information to follow. If you have questions on either of those things, um, come and find me. But again, August 8th is the next one, two weeks from this Sunday, um, 8.30. Be here early because one thing that you'll find if you've ever been in any of my classes, we start on time. Yes. You agree, Diane? If class starts at 8.30, I'm starting at 8.30. So just so you're all warned. So last week... We talked about the first part of the battle plan, and who remembers what the three parts of the battle plan were from last week? Does anybody remember? What's the first thing that we taught? Know my weaknesses, know my strengths, and know Christ. And again, the, in knowing our weaknesses, it's not again saying that I'm you know, worthless, that I have no value, because we have value in Christ. But the weakness is, again, that I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Simple as that. And all of my strengths are in Christ. All the strength that I have to do the things that God has created me to do are because of what Christ has done. Apart from Christ, I'm nothing. You know, my value to this world is very limited. But in Christ, the value that each one of us has is beyond what we can comprehend. So don't be selling yourself short. And then knowing Christ is the third part. And it's not just knowledge. It's not knowing who Christ is, but it's actually knowing Christ in an intimate way so that things are changed in your life. You know, the Hebrew word where knowledge or knowing comes in is it actually is a intimate, transforming, it's a birthing word. Is that when you know Christ in an intimate way, it changes who you are. 
You can't leave the presence of God. You can't leave the presence of Christ without being changed if you've truly been in his presence. Something in you will change. So now on to today's teaching. Um, If you have your handouts, um, number four, part of the battle plan, is to know the enemy. You look at any military strategies, you look at any, you know, even if you look at sports, is one of the things that they will look at is what is your opponent? What kind of strengths does my opponent have? What kind of weaknesses does my opponent have? And you try and exploit your opponent's weaknesses or the enemy's weaknesses. Um, so we have to know who our enemy is. Um, can you bring up that first slide, please? This is not the enemy. This is part of his deception. This is part of his lies. Is he wants us to believe that he's this, you know, Casper the Friendly Ghost type of personality. That there's nothing to fear from that thing, right? Just a little cute cartoony character. Okay, that is not the enemy. Satan has a plan. Just like God has a plan, Satan has a plan. That's That's part of his plan, is to get us to think that he's nothing to worry about. He's not such a bad guy. He can even be funny, right? That is not who he is. His plan is to destroy God's work. So the first part of your handout, um, letter A, Lucifer was created. Okay, let's get that across right now. Lucifer was created. He is not equal to God. He is not Christ's equal. He was created. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, <clears throat> speaking about Jesus, says, By him, by Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, and whether they be thrones, dominions, or principalities, or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So the first thing we need to know is that Lucifer, or Satan, was created. And since he was created by Christ, that means that Christ has authority over him as part of the creation. And we learned that last week in Matthew 28, 18, that Christ was given all authority. And then even the better news for us is in Luke 10, 19, he gave us the same authority. And so, you know, this is one of those logical sequences that if you took logic in school, is if A equals B, then B equals C, or if A equals C and A, you know, get that all messed up, didn't I? (laughs) But if A equals B and A equals C, that means B equals C, right? So if Christ has authority over Satan because he created him, we have authority because Christ gave it to us in his name. So Satan was created. We have authority over him because of who we are in Christ. Amen. Point B, he is a liar. Yeah. John eight forty four. And this is Jesus rebuking some people, but you are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abides not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie... He speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So pretty point blank right there. Satan is a liar. The devil, all the different names that he has, 
is he's a liar and there is no truth in him at all. And so the only way that a lie will work is what? If you don't know the truth. So again, I'm going to hit this point over and over again every top opportunity I have, is if you don't know your Bible, if you've not read your entire Bible, you need to, because that's where the truth is contained. And the only way that Satan can deceive you, the only way he can lie to you, is if you don't know what the truth is. That's why it's so important for us to know who we are, to know what the strengths we have, to know why we're sitting here today. Is because God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for your life being involved in his kingdom. But you also have to know the truth. Because one of the tactics that Satan uses is he'll put doubt in your mind. The only time he tells the truth is when it benefits him. And even then it's not the truth coming out of his mouth. In the beginning, in the book of Genesis, what, how did he deceive Adam and Eve? Did God really say that you would die if you eat of this fruit? So he put doubt in their heads. They had walked with God. God taught them directly. And it's easy for us to sit here and judge them and say, how could they? I mean, God walked with them? And they still messed up? But that's the power of the deception, is they allowed doubt to come in. And they allowed it to bear fruit, literally. And it was, it, their eyes were opened. But God said, you know, that's not how I wanted this thing to be done. So his deception is very powerful. But we have the power of Christ. We have to keep reminding ourselves. We have the power of Christ to overcome what he brings into our life, what Satan tries to do and deceive us. Um, another lie that we're battling, you know, getting more and more prevalent, is it says that... Um, any religion gets you to heaven. Just have to live a good life. Just have to do so many good deeds and you're fine. You'll get into heaven. That's the deception that he's trying to get. He's trying to water down the truth of the gospel. And so, again, we have to know the word. We have to know what the truth is so we can combat the lies. Point C. He's a destroyer. If you do any research on um, some of the different names for Satan and um, Apollyon and Abaddon are two of the Abaddon, I believe, is the Greek or is the Hebrew, and Apollyon is the Greek word for destroyer, and they're used to reference um, the works of the devil. So in John ten ten, very familiar verse, it says, "The thief comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy." And Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And so one thing we need to know about Satan is anything that's going on in your life, it's possible because of the choices you've made, but it's also because Satan doesn't want you to succeed. And he's going to try and destroy the plans that God has for your life and the plans and the purposes he created you for. So he'll come and he wants to destroy God's work. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your peace. He wants to destroy families. He's doing a great job of that, unfortunately, because the church, us, have not stood up and called out the truth. We haven't walked alongside people that are struggling in their marriages because we don't want to get involved. We don't want to get our hands dirty. That's what a battle is, people. 
It's about getting in and doing what needs to be done. So he's a destroyer. He wants to steal the worship from God. That's what part of the pride that brought his fall was he wanted to be exalted above the throne of God and worship me, look at me. And his sin cast him out of heaven, his willful disobedience. He even wants us to, if we can, he can get us to worship the creation, Instead of the creator. takes us away from the face of the Father. And you see that rampantly in this world today, is that we're more about worshiping the creation than we are the creator. He's a killer. Part of his being a destroyer is a killer. Roe v. Wade, we all know about that one, yeah. abortion. And the millions of children that have died at the hand of abortion, how many Einsteins have we lost? How many Billy Grahams have been killed before they were able to do what God wanted them to do? That's been part of Satan's plan for a long time. If you go back again into the you know, Genesis and Exodus, when God was preparing a deliverer to bring his people out of slavery, out of 400 years of bondage, Pharaoh said, we need to kill all these Hebrew babies being born because they're just overpopulating the country. And so his plan was to kill all the babies. And God spared Moses. Moses came and delivered Herod, 2,000 years ago, a little over 2,000 years ago, Herod heard about this new king being born. Well, Herod being a jealous man can't have that. So he ordered that all babies two years old and under be killed in the, his domain, trying to kill, you know, that was Satan's plan to try and kill Jesus when he was a baby. Okay. God's plan is going forwards, people. The question is, are we going to partner with it? Are we going to be part of his plan as he goes forwards? Because God's plan cannot be shaken. It can't be thwarted. Satan is trying, but he's not going to be able to do it. Are we with him? Or are we just going to stand along and watch what's going on? So he's a destroyer. The next one, um, I'm going to say this one might surprise you a little bit. When I was praying and working on this. It kind of surprised me when God showed me that this is the next part of the revelation of knowing our enemy. Um, so point D is he's beautiful. Okay. Bring up that next slide, please. Not that one. Okay. Uh, okay. That's not our enemy either. Okay, so if you think of the first slide I asked for, Casper the Friendly Ghost, that wasn't him. This isn't him either. This isn't our enemy. This is the depiction that is portrayed out there. It's the one that we want or people want us to believe. That's not the enemy either. Because if you saw that, is there any doubt in your mind that that's evil? Okay, but I'm going to tell you that's not who he is. And, we, and the reason I'm going to say that is because what's said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, and it says, it's no marvel that Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Okay. If you saw that image, if that person stood in front of you, 
there'd be no doubt in your mind that that's not a good person. Okay. Is Satan that stupid? He's actually a very intelligent being. And again, in Ezekiel, chapter 28, backing up what I said about him being beautiful. This is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. And he says, speaking of Lucifer, which means light, he says, you were a seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, covered in precious gems. So when Lucifer was created, he was an archangel. He was beautiful. And so what we learn in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, he can transform himself into an angel of light. He can appear as a beautiful angel. So he's not going to show up in your life as this hideous picture that we saw up there, and you don't have to bring that back up there again. He's more deceptive than that. He's going to appear as a friendly person. He's going to appear as something that you don't have to be fearful of to get into your life. And so we've got to know that he's going to be a you know, masquerader. He's going to be a deceiver. He's going to do things to fool you. And so as he can transform himself into an angel of light, we need to be aware of that. It's not always going to be that hideous horror movie type rendition that you think he is. So he is beautiful. Point E, he is our enemy. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, your enemy, the devil, is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour or destroy. So there we go back again to him being the destroyer. And what Peter's saying is he's looking for those that are not strong in their faith. He's looking for those that don't know Christ. And if he can keep you away from people that are going to tell you about Christ, he's going to do that. So many of you know that you've you know, been busy in your lives, and you know, somebody was just sharing this, this morning with me, is that they almost didn't come to church this morning because they just had so many other things going on. You know, they were busy. Okay? We have to make the dedication that no matter what it is, we are going to spend time with God. It doesn't necessarily have to be here all the time. You have to be doing it on your own. But if he can deceive you and think, you don't need time with God, you don't need time with the people of God, then he's going to try and isolate you. And that's one of the tactics of a, you know, a lion. You, know, you get out on the Serengeti and a lion roars, they do it to stampede the herd. Because what happens in a stampede is they lose coherence. You know, The weak ones get left behind or even the strong ones get trampled and get left behind and they're a lot easier prey if they've been injured or if they've been separated from the herd. So that's the tactic of the enemy also, and guys especially. You know, us American guys, we're guilty of this as we got the lone wolf mentality, is I don't need anybody else. I can do this on my own. Won't ask for directions, won't ask for help. Typical American guy, right? Okay. That is not what Christ called us to be. He called us to be corporately together, to gain strength from each other so that we know that somebody's got our back. That when I'm doing stupid things, I need to have friends and guys in my life that are saying, Rich, you're being pretty stupid right now. You're being an idiot, whatever it happens to be. We need that in our lives. You, know, you women seem to have that a little better because you know, you're more social, whatever the excuse is. Guys, stop making excuses. We need each other. So he's our enemy. He's looking to separate us from the herd and destroy us. 
Sixth point on knowing the enemy, and this is a key one. We already sang about it. Point F is he is defeated. Is that good news? First John 4, 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So Satan is in the world. He wants to pretend like he's the king over this world. And in some parts he is. He has dominion and he has powers and principalities. But Christ has overcome him. So he's defeated. He knows it. And that's the thing. Satan knows he's defeated. But what does a dying animal do sometimes? They call it the death throes. Is it will thrash out. It will try and injure anything near it. And that's what Satan's doing. Because he's thrashing out. He knows he's defeated. He knows his end. But we have to remind him sometimes. We have to understand that he's defeated. Because if you walk around thinking that you're in a battle that is all yours, that he has been defeated, but you don't understand that or don't realize that, you're going to fight with all you've got instead of with all of what Christ has given you. And so there's the important point is we have to constantly remind him that he's defeated. Um, another history reference here is the War of 1812. Coming to a close in 1814, probably the most famous battle from the War of 1812 was the Battle of New Orleans. All right? Resounding American victory. We kicked the British's butts. 2,000 of them died or were wounded in the battle. 60, approximately 60 Americans were wounded or died. So an overwhelming American victory. Do you know what the one footnote on that is? It happened 18 days after the Treaty of Ghent was signed, ending the war. So the Battle of New Orleans was fought and won by us 18 days after peace was declared. The only problem was neither one of the armies knew it yet, because the Treaty of Ghent, by the time the word got here to the United States, battle was over, we won, Colonel Jackson was a hero, all the things that came from that. So we have to know that the treaty has been signed. Satan has been defeated. That's the treaty. Jesus signed it right up there on the cross. And in that, he was defeated. We have to remind him. We have to know that. So moving on. Point five. Now you can bring that other slide back up. The point five is train for the battle. Okay. Uncle Sam wants you. Yeah. We'll rephrase that. Jesus wants you in the army. He wants you in the battle. So we have to train for the battle. Um, the Olympics just started a few days ago. Anybody watching them? Okay. Don't have to, but I enjoy watching the Olympics. Always have. But this morning there was some judo going on. Do you think, and you can say this about any of the sports that are going on, do you think the, this morning somebody woke up and said, I want to go play, try some judo in the Olympics. Do you think that happens? Or have they been training for 20 years already to make it to the Olympics for one shot? You, know, you don't just wake up and say, I'm going to be an Olympic athlete. It's something you start training 
you know, from the time you're five years old in some of these sports. Okay? You work, you sacrifice, you discipline yourselves to become an elite athlete. You know, um, do we have any 16-year-olds in here right now? Are there any 16-year-olds? No 16-year-olds. All right. Eric's my volunteer. He's going to be a 16-year-old. All right. All right. So, Patty, let's say Eric was 16 years old. Are you just going to hand him the car keys and say, go drive my car? Or are you going to expect him to spend a little time behind the wheel, training, you know, getting to know the vehicle? <laughs> All right, we'll talk about that later. Okay. But you don't just hand the keys over to a kid. You, you train them a little bit. You spend time behind the wheel with them, showing them how to do things properly. Military. I mean, we just had a young lady back from you know, Air Force basic training last week. Um, you don't enlist in the Army, and they just send you off to battle the next day. You spend time in boot camp. You spend time going through training. You have to learn how to use whatever the weapon is that it happens to be you're going to train for, whatever your specialty, whether it's computers or an actual rifle. But every army has a lot of parts to it. There's not one single part that makes an army an army. There's a lot of multiple parts. So you have to be training for the battle. And it's something that you have to do on an ongoing basis. Um, PF, you know, praise fellowship here. We want to train you for the battle. You, know, you being here this morning, that's part of training for the battle, is your understanding that it is a battle to start with and that you can't just... Wake up one morning, okay, let's take on Satan. Not a very good plan, people. It's about planning. It's about preparing. And so the preparing for praise class that I was talking about, August 8th, that's going to be part of it, is to help you understand what you have part of, what you're sitting here being part of, what the ministries are, the things that you can do to be involved, the ways that you can get your hands dirty by getting into other people's lives. And that's one of the encouragements we make to you guys week after week is don't just come here on Sunday morning and then as soon as we say, have a good day, bolt out of here. Spend a little time getting to know each other. You know, go over, you know, those of you on this side of the room, come on over here and meet some of these people over here that, you know, you may see them all the way across the you know, venue here, but you don't have a clue who they are. We need to get together. You know, that's where the church picnic comes and that's where the events that we're doing is so we can get to know each other. So we can understand, well, they've got strengths in this area. They've been delivered from this. So we can get to know who each other are, and we know who to call upon. You know, get comfortable with each other. So it's, it's more than just, again, sitting here on a Sunday morning. Um, also, September 7th, put this on your calendars. There'll be more information. There'll be sign-up sheets out on the um, information table probably in the next few weeks. But our ISIM classes will be starting in September, September 7th, which is a Tuesday. Um, we've been running them for going on, I think, 14 years now. Um, they run for 10 weeks, but it's about preparing for the battle. It's about understanding that you need to be equipped to fight this battle. Um, some of the classes that are going to be offered in that session is Foundations of the Faith, New Testament Survey, and Praise and Worship. So those are just a few of the classes that will be offered in that initial semester, semester one coming up September 7th. So training for the battle. Point A, under training for the battle, it's a spiritual battle. And Donna, again, you guys were all taking my sermon points this morning, so very good. You're, same Holy Spirit, right? 
but is a spiritual battle. In 2 Corinthians 10, we're told that we do, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So that's the battle that we're in. We're not battling against each other. We're not battling, you know, the Russians or the, you know, the Koreans, whatever, you know, the enemy may look like. We're battling spiritual principalities. We're b battling against imaginations, you know, strongholds, all these things that it talks about is what are some of the strongholds? False beliefs, pride, addictions, lies. I mean, all of those things are what we're battling against. Um, you know, with addictions, one of the stupidest things we tell people with addictions, just stop. Okay? If anybody is struggling with an addiction and someone tells you, well, well just, just stop doing it. It's so, so simple, right? Just stop it. In our willpower, sometimes we can stop for a period. But if we haven't trained, if we haven't disciplined, if we don't have the love of Christ, the addiction still has the hold on us. And that's where one of the scriptures says the sin that so easily besets us, it has a hold on us because we haven't fully been delivered from it. So the word of God is the power, but we also have to move on to the next scripture, which was going to be part of why strongholds are so difficult to overcome. So point B is sacrifice is required. Romans 12, chapter 1. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service or your reasonable worship. So when Paul's talking to the Romans here, He's talking about a living sacrifice. He's talking about giving all of yourself unto the cause of Christ. Um, if you are a Hebrew family in you know, Old Testament days and you brought your lamb in, you didn't get to pick and choose which part of the lamb you gave to the priest. You raised your lamb, you brought your perfect unblemished lamb, and you said, there it is. You gave everything over to the priest for it to be offered as a sacrifice. So when Paul's talking here to the Romans and he's saying, offer your body a living sacrifice, what part of you is God wanting? Only the parts you're comfortable with giving or all of it? He wants all of us offered as a sacrifice so that he can redeem us, all of us, not just the parts that we're comfortable with or the parts that we think need to be offered, but he wants all of us offered up as a living sacrifice. And the key to that and where it comes into the spiritual battle part of it, is in Romans 12, verse 2, it says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And so in verse 2, it says we're not to be conformed to the world. That means we're not supposed to think like the world. We're not supposed to act like the world. We're to be different. We're called to be a peculiar people. I always love that word in the, you know, the King James is nobody likes to be called peculiar. I mean, most people don't, right? Okay, there's just something peculiar about you. I can't quite put my finger on it. But we are called to be a peculiar people so that when people see us, it's not that we're acting oddly, but that we have a peace, that we have a joy that goes beyond our circumstances, 
the scripture that um, Donna read about Paul and Silas, they were serving God. They were testifying of his goodness. And yet they were thrown in prison, beaten and thrown in prison for doing God's will. Did they sit in there and moan and weep and you know, cry about it? No, they started praising God. And because they started praising God in the midst of their circumstances, even though they weren't the best circumstances, what did God do? He broke them free. And in the process of them being broken free, the jailer and his entire family came to know Christ. So sometimes the circumstances, the ugly situations that we find ourselves in, in doing God's will, are part of his plan to draw other people into the kingdom. So don't be afraid of getting in situations that you may not like at the moment, but know that God has a plan and a purpose for them. So don't be conformed to this world. Don't think like the world or act like the world. Point C, discipline is required. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25 through 27. And every man that strives for the mastery <clears throat> is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we are striving after an incorruptible. Therefore, so run not as uncertainly, but fight as one that, as one that does not beat the air. But I keep under my body and bring it to subjection, lest by any means when I have preached others, I myself shall be a castaway. So when you've trained your entire life to run the 400-meter hurdles, I have a bias towards that, as many of you know. If you've trained for 20 years to be the best 400-meter hurdler in the world, do you go to the Olympics and just say, I just want to run a good time? Or do you want to go there to win the gold medal? You're striving after a prize because of all the hard work you've put in. What this verse should tell us is that we have to discipline ourselves. We can't just you know, go through the motions and think, well, God will God'll take care of me. If I don't put in the work, God will pick up the slack, right? God wants us to subject our bodies to his discipline. And the disciplines are spending time in the word, spend time praising, fasting, tithing, things that we've covered before. Those are all things that he wants us to do to subject the flesh to his authority, to not allow our flesh to have rule over us. So we have to discipline ourselves. We have to take time spending it with the Father. And again, Jesus is our example. He spent time with the Father to discipline himself. And then Romans 12, verses 4 through 8, part D of training for the battle. Again, this is sometimes a simple recognition. You are part of the army. Whether you want to watch from the sidelines or you want to be directly engaged in the battle, you are part of the army. Romans 12 says, For we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. So what Paul, again, is teaching us there is that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And those of you in the ISOM classes, I've said this many times, is if I'm part of the body of Christ and I'm not doing what I've created to do, I'm actually hurting you. Because if I'm created to do a certain function, and I'm not doing my function, all of you are not working as well as you should. It's just like your physical body. Again, I pick on the pancreas all the time. If my pancreas is not doing its job properly, I can still live. But I'm not going to be as healthy as I should be. 
So as you guys are sitting out here listening to me talk this morning, if, and I shouldn't say if, you were created to be part of a body. If you're not doing what God created you to do, this body is not as healthy as it should be. The body is suffering because you're not using the gifts and the talents that God's put inside of you. So find out what the gifts and talents are that you have and understand how they work in this body and why he needs them. Again, my army analogy is that not every part of the army is a general. Okay, if the whole army were generals, <laughs> I'd say there'd be a little chaos in that, wouldn't there? Okay, but also not everyone's a rifleman. You know, if you enlist in the army, not everybody picks up a rifle and is a rifleman. They need artillerymen. They need medics. They need cooks. They need quartermasters. They need a lot of different people to make an army work and function the way it should to win the battle. You're part of the army. What's your part? Ask God. You know, I can't tell you what your part is in the battle or what part you have in the army, but ask God what it is, what are the gifts and the talents he's put inside of you, and that will let you know. So we have to know ourselves. We have to know who Christ is. We have to know who the enemy is. And now that we're getting trained, the last point I want to make in the battle plan is engage the enemy. Get in the battle. And what's the, I mean, if you go to, into a battle, you have to have objectives. What's my reason for going into the battle? Um, the reason that we're going into the battle Luke chapter 19 tells us that. <clears throat> so we're engaging the enemy. We're getting in the battle. Point A is seek and save. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Pretty simple statement right there. So if you've been saved, if your life has been redeemed from hell, your job, your part of the battle now is to go and seek and save those that are still lost. Whether it's your family, coworkers, just people you run into on the street, doesn't matter. Our purpose now that we've been saved, now that we've been trained, is to get in the battle and seek and save those that are lost. You know, Jesus said that you know, he left the 99 to go find the one lost sheep. That's his plan and purpose for us right now is to engage in the battle, is to bring back those that are lost. Um, point B is make disciples. So once you've been saved, it's not just hands off, you're on your own now. It's about making disciples. Matthew 28, verse 18 says, All power is given unto me, Jesus speaking, into heaven and earth. Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you, and I'm with you to the end of the world. So the second thing that we're to do is go and make disciples. That Once we've found those that have been lost and have been saved, is we need a disciple, and we need to turn them into Christ-like people, because it doesn't just happen naturally. It happens because you spend time with them, because you train them, because you help them understand the things you've been through, and that in Christ, we can get to that point of making disciples. Point C, be sober and vigilant. And this goes back to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. It says, be sober and vigilant because our enemy, the devil is looking to destroy us. And so when it says to be sober, again, in my you know, infancy, my newness to Christ, I always thought, well, just don't be drunk. 
Okay? Be sober, right? But being sober means to be actually being paying attention, to be aware of what's going around you. To be vigilant means that you don't let your guard down. Because the enemy's looking for that opportunity where you let your guard down, where you're not being sober-minded, where you're not being Christ-focused, and that you allow distractions to come in, you allow confusion to come in. So we're to be sober and vigilant because we are in a constant state of battle, whether you want to recognize it or not, because it's not as natural as like if I were to stand up here and I were to pull out a sword, you would feel threatened. Okay? That would be a natural attack against you. But what are we warring against? We're not warring against flesh and blood, right? We're warring against spiritual powers and dominions. So that's where we need to be sober and vigilant, understanding that it's more than what we can see with our eyes and hear with our senses. We have to be sober and vigilant to know that there's a spiritual battle that we're in the midst of. And then point D is submit and resist. James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It doesn't say resist the devil and he will flee from you. It says submit yourself to God. That's the first part of it. Is If we submit our lives to Christ, if we sacrifice our lives to Christ, the devil will, will flee as we resist him. Because when you're in Christ, you're resisting him right then. And he will flee from you. Point E is take authority. Take authority, Luke 10. And the 70 returned with joy and said to the Lord, even the devils are subject to us, subject to us through your name. So in Christ's name, we have authority. We need to take it. You need to understand you have it. So when Satan comes against you with lies, with distractions, is you need to take authority in Christ's name that he has no power in your life or over your household. And then in Philippians 2, 9, verses 19 and 11, or 9 and 11, excuse me. Philippians 2, 9 and 11 says that God has highly exalted him, given a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So the authority we have is in Christ, in Christ's name, that every created thing must bow to his name. So the authority we have is based on that. And then if all of these things are going on, if we're doing the things that God has created us to do, there will be glorious results. Not just results, but glorious results. And this is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 4. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised or oppressed or addicted, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So if we act on the things that God has done for us, the things that Christ has put inside of us, those are the results that are going to happen. People are going to be delivered. People are going to be set free from their destination of hell. They're going to have addictions broken off of them in the power of Christ. But we're his hands and his feet. We're the ones he created to do those things that it talks about in Luke chapter 4. 
is he's done his part. He came and lived out a perfect sinless life so that he could be offered on the cross to die for your sins so you don't have to be sentenced to hell. And as we do these things, deliverances will happen. Salvations will occur. But we have to do it. God will call people's hearts, but he also wants us to be part of it. He wants us to take part in the glorious results that he's been doing for centuries, for millennia. But he wants us to be part of it. Isn't it, wouldn't it be part, or wouldn't it be great to be part of a huge victory? That's what we are. The battle belongs to the Lord, but we can see the victory because it's in Christ. And so if you're in Christ, the victory is yours. It's ours, but we have to step into it. As we cl close this morning, everything that I've talked about this morning and last week, the six parts of the battle plan, they're irrelevant if you don't know Christ. So everything I've been talking about this battle plan is I'm talking to those of you that know Christ, that have accepted him as your savior and you've been redeemed by his blood. If you do not know Christ, if you're not saved, if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, that's the starting point. And so once again, we want to tell you, if that's your situation, if you are only coming to church because this is what you do on Sunday, this is what your family does, whatever it happens to be, is don't leave this place today without accepting Christ as your Savior. If you understand that you're a sinner, that the things you have done in your life are displeasing to God, they've broken covenant with God, is that you're going to hell apart from Christ, don't leave here this, place, don't leave here this morning without accepting Christ as your Savior. And if that's something that you are feeling the pull, if you're feeling God calling to your heart, do not leave here today without dealing with it. Salvation is today. So if that is something that you need to do in your life today, you know, come forwards, come, you know, find us after the service is over, but don't leave here the same as you left here today. Now, one of the saddest verses in the Bible is Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 through 23. And this is Jesus speaking to the people. He says, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we've prophesied in your name. In your name we've cast out devils, and in your name we've done many wonderful works. And Jesus said, I will profess to you I never knew you. Depart from me, you who would work iniquity. But don't allow that to be your story. Don't walk out of here as a person that thinks you're doing things that are good, that you're doing things that are pleasing to God, and that he will say, I don't know you. And when it says he knows you, again, I want you to think of the intimacy that if you're married, the word knowledge, the word know that Jesus is speaking about here is when a husband and a wife come together and they know each other in an intimate way in the sense of that word, is a child is birthed. Something is born with that kind of intimacy. So if you don't have that kind of intimacy with Christ, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23 is what God will have to say to you someday. And we don't want that for you.
You know, we see the pictures of the pearly gates all the time and Peter standing there checking people in. <laughs> if that were true, when you get to the pearly gates, Peter's not going to ask you if you know Bible trivia. How many books are in the Bible? He's not going to ask you how many Sundays you came and sat in a church service. He's not going to ask you how much money you gave on Sunday in your tithes. What he's going to ask you is one question. Do you have Christ in your life? That's the only question that we have to answer. Is do you have Christ in your life to the point that he has redeemed you from hell and cleansed you of your sin? That is the only question that you have to be able to answer. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the wisdom that's in it, the truth that's in it, the hope and the strength that's in it, that we need it to be all these things to us, Lord, and that we don't do it on our own strength, that we don't do it just because we know it's a good thing to do. But allow your word to just sink deeply into our hearts to truly change us into your image that we'll think like Christ, that we'll act like Christ, that we'll become that peculiar people, that people will know there's something different about us. And that this body, this place that we call Praise Fellowship, will truly become a place where people come to meet you, to have their wounds healed, to have their broken hearts repaired, to have their sins cleansed in the name of Jesus. We thank you for all that are gathered here and all those that are listening online, wherever the, your word is being proclaimed. We just ask you to sink it deep in, Lord. We give you the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Go home, get your homework done, identify your strengths and weaknesses, and know who you are in Christ.